Well, welcome to the Cut for Time podcast here at the Canton United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Clay. I'm joined by Eric Stearns, and today we're digging into my message from Sunday, which was the end of our Back to the Basics series, and we talked about service, about why service is important, um, why Jesus was so insistent on teaching the disciples about what service looked like, and what service can look like in our lives today. So let's get into it. Let's do it. Like, so, how, how do you have the courage to ask that question of Jesus? Mm-hmm. The first, no, and, and let's separate that into two questions. Yes. The first question, first of all. Right. I mean, like, how do you, how do you test Jesus in that way as, a, as his disciple? Mm-hmm. Like, that didn't make any sense to me. Right. Yeah, I think it is a symptom of them being, this is the middle lean to the end of his ministry on earth. And so I think the disciples have just gotten really comfortable with Jesus. When you're following the literal son of God, it's easy for us to think, wow, I don't think I would ever get, you know, passive in that. Mm -hmm. But also, I mean, we still follow the literal son of God and sometimes we get passive in that. It's true. You know, that sense of awe goes away. Mm -hmm. That you're following the literal son of God, Jesus. This is who has chosen you to be his, you you are his disciple and he is your rabbi. Um... I think we get desensitized to that too. Um, and so I, th- I just think that they've gotten way too comfortable and decided that because they were following Jesus, because they did know he was the Messiah, because, he, they, because they, they were in with the rabbi. If you're going to have to follow a rabbi, this is the rabbi to follow. And I think that that went to their heads for a moment. And they came to Jesus and said, we want you to do for us whatever we're going to ask you next. Okay. And Jesus says, okay, let's, uh, let's hear it. Mm-hmm. Lay it on me. What do you got? And then they make that request. Yeah. So what do you think their motive was in asking that question? Or do you have a hypothesis of what their motive was? Mm-hmm, I do. Um, every commentary that I read to prepare for the sermon pointed out that they wanted the prestige of following Jesus and they wanted the prestige. They were under the assumption. I mean, they were, they were, all the disciples were under the assumption that this Messiah was going to be a political ruler. And one of the commentaries went so far as to say that they would have a chance to oppress the people that had been oppressing them if they were sitting at the right hand, left hand, of, right and left hand of Jesus. So they wanted to deliver the blow to mm-hmm. everyone else. Yes. Part of, partially that. Uh, partially they wanted, they, they assumed that when Jesus came in his glory, it would be in the same way that they had watched kings behave for their entire lives. And those that were closest to the king, the cronies of the king, got to do certain things, have these special permissions, and they assumed, since they were following the king of kings, that they would have these special permissions too. And they wanted the clout, and they wanted the ability to, you know, exact a little bit of revenge, but also just have that important title of being, you know, the closest. So how do you think they felt like, okay, let's put ourselves in their shoes. Right. When Jesus says, goes into service, mm-hmm. you know, and being of serving others and all of that. What, what would that have felt like if you're, you're <laughs> on this high of what you think you're going to get for an answer or, right. or what you think you deserve? Right. And you're like, oh, Jesus is like, oh, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. I'm going to call you to serve everyone and you're not going to get to go right bash people in the head or yeah. you know you know what I mean right 
Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I, I would imagine that they, in, I've, that they all left that circumstance feeling about this tall. I mean, they would you have, have felt so sheepish because they had these grandiose ideas and Jesus took their idea of greatness and turned it completely on its head and said, no, the last will be first. And if you want to be so great, you have to become the servant to all. And he left it at that. Mm-hmm. I'm sure all of the disciples felt ridiculous after that because they are just like, oh, wait, yeah, we're still following Jesus and his way is different than ours. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that was interesting that I read in, the, in a couple of commentaries this week is that the other 10 disciples, when they hear what James and John said to Jesus, the reason why they're upset isn't because James and John said it. They're upset because James and John said it first. Mm. And like they all maybe had those ideas. They all had these delusions of grandeur in the back of their head. But James and John were the first ones to lift it up. And actually sure. have the fortitude to say that to Jesus. I just appreciate the wisdom of Jesus saying back to them, do you have it in you to be baptized with the baptism I'm about to be baptized with? And do you have it in you to drink the cup that I'm going to be drinking? Talking about his death, the baptism of his death. Do you have that? And they said yes. But they didn't really say, I mean, they didn't really understand what Jesus meant. They just heard Jesus ask a question, and they knew what the answer was supposed to be. And the irony of the entire thing is that they said yes to this question, not knowing that that's actually what was going to happen to them. You know, all of the disciples in one way or another suffered as a result of their faith. Some of them were put to death in martyrdom. Um, You know, John, the beloved disciple, was able to, you know, the the tradition goes is that he was able to be exiled onto Patmos and then eventually die naturally of old age. But in some way or another, they all suffered in the same way that Jesus suffered. Maybe not to the point of death, but they all were baptized with that baptism and they all drank that cup. Whether they realized that in the moment or not, Jesus did. Because Mm -hmm. Jesus says to them, yeah, you said yes, but, you know, you really are going to Mm -hmm. be baptized with this baptism, and you really are going to drink this cup. Sure. Yeah, they don't know at this point what they're getting into. Mm -hmm. Yep. You don't even know what you're asking. (laughs) Yep. Even at that point, like, what? How would that feel if you ask anyone that big a, a big question mm-hmm. and they're like and they could see the end like you literally don't know what you're asking i don't I just you'd feel instantly just like you don't belong or you don't yeah it would be incredibly off-putting mm-hmm. yeah. i also just think that jesus may have thought to himself have you even been listening the last few years like Yes, I have told you for the third time I'm going to go suffer and die, and this is how you respond to that. Either I have not communicated this clearly yet, or you're just not paying attention at this point in time. Like, that would be so... I mean, we we know what it's like to be misunderstood and and not heard, Mm -hmm. but that has to be so disheartening. Like, you've been with these 12 people more than anyone else in your life, adult life, and they are the closest to you and they still don't get it. 
what do you do with that? You know? Right. Yeah. 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 I didn't even thought about, thought about it that way. Like what does Jesus feel mm-hmm. when these guys literally just don't get it right. the entire time? Right. His entire ministry, they don't get it. No, no. And like, I get it because Jesus is Jesus. He is the, again, he's the literal son of God and he knows all things and, 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 and knows their hearts, but he's, and, and has this deep love for his disciples but yet he just knows that they're not that they're going to fall short that they're going to mess this up and what do you do with that why does he why are we here <laughs> we know we're going to fall short right? he knows we're going to fall short yep that is just the depth of the grace of Jesus Christ i mean mm-hmm. that's why i do what i do you know right to help people see that there is a grace that big so let's talk about grace a little bit. Sure. So what do you say to people? Okay, so in Paul's, the scripture from Paul. Mm-hmm. We are God's handiwork. Um, we are created for uh, good works in Christ Jesus um, to become our way of life. So we always talk about how good works cannot get us into heaven. Uh-huh. Only God's grace can. Yep. So what do we say to the person who says, well, I'm just not going to do anything because I already know that God loves me and I'm going to get into heaven anyway because of his grace. Like, right. how, how, how do we navigate that? Right. How I navigate that is by reminding people that in our expression of gratitude to Jesus, there are things that he has asked us to do. And those do not change. Even though we are saved by grace through faith, let no less no person can boast. That is absolutely the truth. A faith that does not produce works isn't worth it. Like there are things that I mean. That's the reason why Paul goes on in, in the book of Galatians to talk about the fruit of the spirit. There are things that grow naturally out of who we are as Christ's followers. There are things that develop in our faith that bring us to the point where we produce. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, and self-control. Are you singing the song in your head, too? Yes. Mm-hmm. We, we produce those fruit of the Spirit. Our faith does something in our lives that, put, that, that proceeds forth from us into the world. And I would go back to what Paul says and also what James says, where James flat out says that a faith without works is dead. And like it's it's so easy to see those two things in conflict, but it's absolutely not. Like even I think Paul himself would say that would say the same thing that James did. We are God's handiwork. We are made in God. In it, we are made new in Jesus to do good works. We are not made. We're not saved by those good works, but we are made to do those good works as a result of the saving grace that we've experienced. Because once we've experienced saving grace, we want everyone around us to experience saving grace. And one of the ways that we make that happen, one of the ways that we spread that grace is by serving, is by making those intentional choices to think of someone else other than ourselves. Think of someone else ahead of ourselves. So really it's grace first. Yes. Yes, it is grace first and then everything else is a response to that grace. Everything else is a response of gratitude to the grace that we've experienced. Mm-hmm. But I think that's something that people really struggle with. Oh, yeah. You know, and let's say you're, you're 
trying to do trying to do some good work for something or whatever, and it's not received well. Mm-hmm. It's very discouraging, and so then you don't want to yeah. do it again. And then you're like, "Well, I'm saved by grace anyway. I'm just not going to do anything." Right? You know? Yeah. I think that's where that comes from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. The, I mean, that the, the unfortunate part is we can't we we can't risk we can't dictate how people respond to things. But I think that God seeing us do those good things matters way more. I think that God sees what we do, and and is, not that God needs our you know affirmation or whatever, but I think that us being, even if no one sees us doing the right thing, God knows. God knows our hearts. One of the things that I was kind of struck by that I didn't give a chance to like work through in the sermon, um, you know, I was talking with some of someone that asked me what the sermon was going to be about this coming week, and I said service, and they're just like, ooh. We're not very good at that. And I think sometimes we sell ourselves short of what we actually do do. I was thinking about like just on a Sunday morning, how many people serving does it take for us to actually make a worship service happen? You know, it takes someone to make, I mean, these aren't necessary things. These are, these are just the things that happen. It takes someone to volunteer to make coffee. That's serving. It takes someone, it takes three people back in the tech booth to make what we do with technology happen. Between live streaming and presentation and audio, it's three people in the booth every week. Mm-hmm. That's service. On a, pra- on a praise band Sunday, there are five people up here using their, musical, using their musical talents to serve God and serve us as a congregation to lead us in worship. On a, you know, on a, on a, on a, on a more classic Sunday, it's, it's less than five, but it's still not nobody. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it takes someone to, to preach a message and to be the leadership person. But it takes us showing up. I mean, every, I mean, when we think about it, when we break it down into what is service and what isn't, there are very few things that are not service in some way or another. Like we are serving God when we come to be a part of worship. When we engage our hearts in that way, that's worship. That's worship, and worship can be service, you know, because it's not something that we that we would normally choose to do, except for to express our gratitude to God for God's goodness in our lives. Are there other things that I'm missing about serving on a Sunday morning? Like, what else does it take? It takes someone to come and fill the oil um, with with mm-hmm. uh, uh, in our in our candles because someone comes and does does that once a week. Mm-hmm. It takes a treater. It takes a treater. That's a very important part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The extension of hospitality, you know? Right. Yeah. Hmm. It takes a bell ringer. It does take a bell ringer. Yep. We've got two or three of them that are very faithful. Yeah, the mm-hmm. bell rings before church almost every Sunday. In the winter, it takes a snow snow shoveler. Yep. And sometimes more than one. Mm-hmm. Shout out to your dad. Sometimes it takes farmers with skid loaders. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Beauty of living in a small town sometimes. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, what else does it take? Well, you're right. I mean, it, it takes, takes a choir. It takes a choir. director. I mean, mm-hmm. just to pull off a worship service, it engages that many people in serving in some way. I mean, Sunday was even better because we packed mission kits afterwards, and that took all of us, you know? Mm-hmm. It was, we packed 63 kits, and that's not nothing, you know? It's, right. It's impressive. And so I feel like we, sh- we sell ourselves short 
by, you know, just doing what we're doing, by being who we are, being the people that God made us, you know, there are so many things that, that count as service that we don't, you know, automatically think of, but absolutely are an expression of what we're supposed to be expressing, an expression of the gratitude that we're supposed to express. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that too is we just, we always feel like in the back of our minds we could do more. Sure. No matter how much we do. Oh, yeah. At least for myself. I always feel like I could do more. And then I commit to things and then I don't get them done because I probably overcommit myself. Mm-hmm. But there are times when I just feel like, oh, I could do that. Or, right. you know, I should be doing this. Or, mm-hmm. And it's true. I mean, if we prioritize it the right way, yeah, we can do more. Right. Yep. It's okay to know the pastors do that too. Oh, yeah. No? Or end of the sermon, you talked about how service can look like all sorts of different things. Yeah, and you for had sure. Martin Luther, Martin Luther King Jr. quote. Uh huh. What all did you mean by that? Like, you say service can look like many different things. Mm-hmm. And maybe we already covered that when well, we were just talking about the, you know the no, different I jobs in the that, church. I think that, but I think it's bigger than that too. I mean, what I had in mind when I wrote that was to say that our answer to how we will serve depends upon who we are as people. And my answer is not going to look the same. Is not going to look the same as yours, and that's okay. That does not mean that your ideas are less valid. That does not mean that my ideas are less valid. Our response to a call to serve led—I mean, a, a response to a call to serve led me to pursue pastoral ministry. Yours led you to become a really good member of a church. You know where you do take on the role of preacher when you do serve around the church and you swing a hammer and do a thing and you know you build stuff and like i i don't have that skill set but that doesn't mean that my skill set does not have a place in the life of the church or mm-hmm. in 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 what god has asked me to do and so that's the the big thing that i had that i wanted to convey behind that is the fact that everyone's ideas are valid and if there's an idea of a way to serve the church that we have that we don't necessarily think of, it's still in play. And it could be that you, it, I, I, my hope was that someone heard that message on Sunday and they had an idea kicking the back of their head of like, hey, this is a way that I could serve the church that we've never done before. I wonder if that counts. Absolutely that counts. Absolutely that counts. So... That's what I was hoping to, to, to convey. I think sometimes people need that encouragement. Mm-hmm. They yeah. need to hear that that their ideas are valid. Yes. Yep. And the wild half-baked idea in the back of your head could be something. Could literally be the could li- literally be the stirring of the Holy Spirit that you just need to verbalize and say, mm-hmm. "I have this random thought. Do you think we could do it?" I'd love to. I have no problem throwing darts and missing the dartboard entirely. Like I am not afraid of failing. I am not afraid of messing up, and I'm mm-hmm. not. Afraid, and I'm not one who is going to give up off the, after the first time it doesn't go well. Right. So. Yeah. All too often we do give up. Oh yeah. But all too often too, we don't. Maybe we don't put enough. Sometimes we don't put enough thought into an idea. Mm-hmm. And so we kind because we don't put enough background work into something, it's kind of set up to fail. Sure. And so maybe that sharing those ideas 
those half-baked ideas yeah. with other people and then you can brainstorm more things and get a, a more concrete. Mm-hmm. But people shouldn't just keep that stuff in. No, not at all. You know, not share those with others yes. because you're not, I mean, people can probably think, oh, I'm going to look like an idiot or whatever. You're not. No. Because other people may have had the same idea. Mm-hmm. And if you keep that inside, it's never yeah. going to happen. And then you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, right? Exactly. Yes. I'd be very, I mean, I would get very discouraged. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad there are people like you that mm-hmm. are okay with that. Yep. So that kind of, I think, kind of wraps up the series on on um, Back to the Basics. Mm-hmm. So what's our next series? Yeah, so our next series is going to be on the life and ministry of Peter. Um, you know, last fall, if you were with us last fall, uh, we walked through the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. Um, we, talk, we talked about how, um, in terms of world renown, he is second only to Jesus. There are two major pillars in the early church, Paul and Peter. And so we explored Paul last year, and so now we're going to turn our attention to Peter. And we're going to be starting off on Sunday, actually, with a, like, all the way back to the start of when we first meet Simon Peter in Scripture. Jesus mm. offer, or Jesus asks Simon Peter to borrow his boat. Jesus is presenting some, a series of teachings outside of Capernaum, where Peter lived and where Jesus eventually kind of made his home camp. And the crowd is pressing on, in on him and in an interest of reaching as many people as possible because that's Jesus' thing. Jesus asks Simon Peter, who has just been fishing all night long, to take him out a little bit, on this, a, a, a little bit out of the way onto the Sea of Galilee. And that's how we meet Simon Peter. That's how Jesus first meets him. Um, and so what happens next but it's it all begins with a call mm-hmm. and it all begins with jesus asking peter this favor and then saying to peter hey i know you fished all night i know you just cleaned your nets but drop them down again and see what happens and the, the hall is so large that it almost breaks his nets and then jesus says okay cool but now we're going to fish for people. And Peter's life is off to the races from there. So we're starting off with this very initial story, and we're going to be thinking about our own lives and our own stories, and what are some ways that we have been called to fish for people? And have we had the same audacity that James and John had, but properly applied? Have we had the, the audacity to follow Jesus? Awesome. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Me too. Thanks for joining us on this week's Comfort Time podcast. Join us again next week in person or online as we start our series on Peter. And then again here for the podcast next week. Thanks for listening to our Cut for Time conversation. Join us for worship in person or on Facebook Live Sundays at 10 o'clock Central Time. And now go in peace and serve the Lord.